0: I grew up in the country, and one of the things I would do almost all summer long is get outside, and I would explore all of the area around. There was so much to see in our little area. There were these woods that just seemed to go on forever. There were gravel pits. There was this huge clay cliff, and we could dig handholds and footholds, and we could scale it. There was the Vermilion River. There was North Lake. We had this great swamp where you could catch all kinds of frogs and snakes and snapping turtles. There was this thing we called the Eggleston Trail. It used to be an old railroad um, that had been abandoned. And then along the way, there was a natural spring. There was this thing, we called it the gypsy wagon. And I think it was an old abandoned gypsy wagon. There was a deserted farm that we would go explore. There was old man Myers junkyard. There were all of these areas as a kid that we could go out all day long and we could explore. It was so much fun. And Every so often, as we were out doing our things, going all around the neighborhood, we would come across signs that looked like this. Does anyone remember these signs or recognize these signs? Back in the day, they almost all looked like this. It had the white border, black background, and the words in orange, no trespassing. And I'll tell you, as a kid, I hated these signs. I hated these signs because they were very recognizable. You knew what they meant, and I hated them. Because I, did, I wanted to go and I wanted to see what's on the other side of that no trespassing sign. As I grew up, I began to realize, though, they're there for a reason. And generally, there's two main reasons, right? To to keep you safe and to protect something that's valuable. Those are usually the two reasons why you see one of those signs. And think about this. Think about how much pain, think about how much tragedy would be averted if people simply didn't cross No trespassing signs. There would be a whole lot less pain and agony and all these kind of things. When a no trespassing sign is placed properly, is it okay to ignore it? No, it's not okay. Well, as I continued to mature, I also began to learn that wise and caring people, they establish no trespassing signs, not just in physical spaces, but they set boundaries in their life. I encourage you to write this down. Wise and caring people establish boundaries. Understanding the importance of boundaries, it is a game changer. Can I get an amen on that? It is. Healthy people do this. Healthy people, and by healthy, I mean physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, socially healthy, spiritually healthy. Healthy people put boundaries in place. The best counselors, the best physicians, the best consultants, the best neighbors, the best parents, the best friends. They are big fans of developing boundaries and also respecting the boundaries of other people. The right boundaries protect what's valuable. The right boundaries keep people safe. Think how much pain and tragedy would be eliminated if more people in our world would respect the boundaries that others put in place. When a boundary is properly placed in someone's life, is it okay to ignore it? No, not okay. See where I'm going with this. If we can't, who always can't see as clearly as we think we can, if we understand the importance of placing boundaries and putting up no trespassing signs, wouldn't it make sense that if there is a creator who is good and who's wise and who cares about us, Wouldn't our creator put no trespassing signs in place to protect us and to protect what's valuable and to keep people safe? If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Scripture's no trespassing signs are purposely placed. I was talking to one of my pastor friends, his name's Mauricio, about the pressure that a lot of churches are under. There's so much pressure right now for churches to conform to culture it's probably always been the case, but we're especially feeling it now. And he made this really good point. He said, so many churches right now, they feel like you got to choose. Are you going to be a welcoming church or are you going to be a church that respects the no trespassing signs that our creator puts in place? If we believe that God is who the Bible says he is, if we trust the word, wouldn't you want people to know where a loving God has put boundaries in place? to protect what's valuable, to keep us safe. The conversation that we're going to be having today is so important. It is so important. When I was a kid, you know, I was exploring the world mostly physically. I would get out there and I would explore it, and I would come across these signs in places where these signs should be. Today, one of the reasons this conversation is so important is Most people are exploring the world virtually. And in the virtual world, where most people spend most of their time, not only have so many no trespassing signs just been obliterated, these things are designed to keep us having unhealthy boundaries, where where we are just going after the things that the content providers or the content creators want us to consume more of. And so we're growing up in this world where fewer and fewer people are understanding even what, what the importance of no trespassing signs and how they can help us. It's a new opportunity for our oldest enemy to exploit. He's been doing this all along, from the beginning, with the very first people. What did he do? They had this huge world to explore. Where did he fix their eyes? On the forbidden fruit. He said, you got this world, but... This is what you really want. Stuff that's on the other side of the no trespassing sign. For those of us who understand that Satan is more than a symbol, are we okay with daily choices that you know, when it comes to like what we watch, what we listen to, that amplify the voice of one who the scripture says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Well, if you're just joining us um, for the first time, we're in a series right now called Dear Suburban Church. And what we're doing is we're looking at a real first century letter that we call First Corinthians. You can find it in the Bible. And I was thinking about this. The Corinthians would have loved the internet. The more you get to know them, they would have loved it, right? Because you think about who they were. They would have loved having unfiltered access to the latest influencers because they were all about that. They were always chasing after the latest ideas. They would have loved how easy it is to virtue signal because they wanted people to identify them with the coolest thing that was happening in the city at the time. They would have also loved how easy it is to find validation for just about anything you want to believe. So that they could pat themselves on the back, hey, look at us. We're we're so great. What they wouldn't have loved, what they would not have loved are the boundaries, like the boundaries we're going to look at today. The boundaries that Paul had to say, you guys, these are in 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 place for a reason. Over the next 4 weeks, we're going to be examining chapters 5, 6, and 7. First Corinthians. If you have your Bible with you today, it's chapter 5. I want to invite you to open up to First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to just hit pause right now. Go to Bible.com. You can download a free Bible app. It's an outstanding resource. All right, here we go. We're going to start with verses 1 through 2. Paul writes to them. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you're arrogant? Ought you not rather, rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul's gonna say some things here in in what follows in, in these next chapters. He's gonna say some things that they're gonna really disagree with. And so he's brilliant in what he does through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He tries to start with something that even though they're wrong in this, it should be something where they're going to be like, okay, get all heads nodding in the right direction because this is just such a blatant, egregious thing that's going on here. So before again, he goes to the more controversial stuff, he starts by shining a spotlight on something that even their pagan neighbors believed was wrong. Some guy in their church was sleeping with, quote, his father's wife. And evidently, Many people in that church in Corinth, they weren't only okay with it, it was a source of pride for them. Paul doesn't clarify now in here, is it the guy's mom? Is it the guy's stepmom? I believe he purposely uses this phrase that we translate his father's wife because by doing that, he's using language out of the Old Testament. There's a a command given by Moses, Deuteronomy 13.5, I think it is, where it's that same language that Paul uses here. So by doing that, Paul, being brilliant, what he does is he says, okay, you're engaging in behavior that Moses clearly says was wrong. This is the law of Moses. And also what he's doing is, this was also illegal in Corinth. The Romans didn't allow for this. You you, you couldn't do this. Corinth was known for having very few sexual boundaries. There were very few, but this is one of the boundaries that almost everyone agreed with. This is wrong. You don't sleep with your father's wife. The Romans would actually banish you for this, which interestingly enough is what Paul recommends. Let's go back to our text, verses three through five. Paul says, for though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. do right, I want to unpack that a little bit because when was the last time you heard that language? Especially coming from a church person. Oh, they're doing that? Hand them over to Satan. When we made a decision to launch Emmanuel, I knew I was going to get need to get a bunch of people on speed dial because I knew there was going to have to be some people that I would have to call if we ran into certain situations. One guy I've got on my speed dial is someone who I would trust if we were ever in a situation where I thought, we need to bring in someone who I would trust to assess and officiate an exorcism, as in a real demonic spirit. I know a guy. And <laughs> someday, someday, I've said this before, someday I, I want to do a whole series on that I want to call The Devil is Real and. He's real. He's real and. So the, this pastor that's on my speed dial, he's one of the only people I've ever heard use this language. This whole idea of handsome over to Satan. And here's what he means by that in real-life application. Jesus taught us, if a Christian brother or sister, they're, they're crossing repeatedly into areas where there are no trespassing signs. What Jesus taught us is he said, first look at yourself. Before you point fingers at this person, are you doing the same thing? Make sure you start there. Because don't start pointing fingers if you're guilty of the same thing. Step two then is, pull the person aside privately and say, hey brother, hey sister. I, I, I see you're doing this. This is not helpful. This is hurtful. This is these things person still doesn't listen step 3 bring another person with you and have that conversation if the person just won't respond to wise caring people really the only course of action left is for them to learn the hard way and that's ultimately what this is about this whole idea of turning over to satan the course of action that paul recommends here is withdrawing the spiritual covering of the church And again, that's language we don't even use anymore because people are just so used to, they they call it church shopping, right? You're just looking for something that you're consuming, something that you really like. We're not even thinking about this whole idea that there's some sort of spiritual covering or protection that comes with being part of one of these families. There are several scriptures that speak of a real devil and he has boundaries. But here's the thing about the devil, he knows where his realm is. And he knows what he can do and how he can operate within that realm. He's very aware. So what people are speculating here is that Paul's hope is if you remove that spiritual protection of the church, this guy's going to experience the consequences of that, and there's at least hope that he's going to say, oh, what was I thinking? It's not all unlike where there was that example, another story that Jesus told. He told a story of, we call it the prodigal son, many of us, where there was this kid, and he grew up with a really good father. But there came a point where he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. He went off and learned the hard way, a really, some really tough life lessons. And when he came back, it was, okay, now I recognize it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. In fact, I had it pretty good. It's kind of like that. All right, let's go back to our text, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, okay, you're boasting, remember, because they had pride over this. He said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, which is a life goal for probably most people, right? I want to be a new lump. All right, where in the world was that? That's not my notes at all. Um, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, Let us, therefore, celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. Leaven. Leaven is like yeast, but what leaven is, it's actually a part of old dough that does that same function. You take a piece of the old dough that's fermented, you put that in the new loaf, and it causes the whole thing to rise. We did a whole series on this last, last fall called The New Pharisees. You know, and many of us, most of us, we've seen the damage that can happen when a toxic person, a toxic teaching comes into a group and how that can spread so quickly and do so much damage. Well, Paul, as he's talking about these things and how if you don't deal with this, it's going to spread. Others are going to see what this person's doing. It'll give them license to do the same kind of thing. Paul says, This this is all linked with Passover. This is linked with the cross. This is serious business. It is not okay to just ignore this. Somebody that could end up influencing others in destructive ways. Verses 9 through 10 said this. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then, you would have to go out of the world. All right, here's one of the places where we find out that what we call First Corinthians wasn't Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He had written at least one more letter. And in that previous letter, he warned them. He said, hey, you, you, you can't be just turning your head on sexually immoral behavior. You can't be, in fact, you should be distancing yourself from people who cross boundaries that God has put in place when it comes to sexual expression. And it's really important to note, really important to note, that Paul makes an important distinction here. And I hope you caught that. He's not talking right now about their non-Christian friends and neighbors. He goes, if you try to avoid all the non-Christians who are practicing these things, good luck. You're not going to find it, especially in Corinth in those times. What he's saying specifically is, if somebody calls himself a brother or sister and they just continue to deliberately cross these boundaries that God has put in place, that's where you need to pay special attention to that and put some distance between them and to hold them accountable for these things. And one of the things that we've commented before at this church, we'll continue to comment on, often church people reverse it, don't they? They don't hold themselves accountable. They don't hold their brothers and sisters accountable, but they point fingers at all these people who aren't even identifying as Christian, who don't even hold the same values. That's reversed. Now, I also want to give this other asterisk or footnote. You can take this too far too. And Pastor Dan did a great job with this a couple weeks ago of saying there are some things as humans we hold other humans accountable to. So we're not saying you never hold people accountable to things, but we want to be careful and we always want to start with our ourselves. Because Paul, em, Paul's emphasis here, it is clearly, it is clearly start with the church family. All right, last two verses of this section go like this. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality and does Paul stop there? No, he continues on. Or what? Greed or is an idolater or is a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. What does he say you shouldn't even do with such one? What does he say? Okay, we're going to talk about in a second why that was a big statement. He says don't even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those outside the church of whom you're to judge. God judges those on the outside. And then there's quotes here, even though Greek doesn't use quotes. There's quotes here. Purge the evil person among you. All right, here we get a glimpse of how serious this is for Paul. And now, what also Paul begins to do, he expands the conversation. The conversation goes beyond sleeping with his father in law, his wife, guy, or whatever. He, he's, he's if someone falls, calls himself a brother or sister in Christ and they're not only guilty of sexual immorality, but if they're guilty of greed if they're guilty of or being an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler Paul gives two related instructions in verse 13 he says that part with quotes that we see quotes on he says purge the evil person among you the reason you're to see question marks or quotation marks there in several translation is that Paul is quoting he's quoting deuteronomy 13 5. And, oh, the other one I gave you earlier, I said probably Deuteronomy 13.5. That was Leviticus, the one I gave you earlier. Sorry if I did that and mixed you up there. This one's 13.5. Um, Deuteronomy 13.5. Paul does this frequently, where he'll quote the Old Testament. And the New Testament, and he does this because are the Old Testament and the New Testament connected to one another? Yes, they are. It's so important. In fact, if you come across teachers who try to mock all the Old Testament or they're dismissive of the Old Testament, that's part of that leaven, that toxic leaven that Paul is talking about. Paul is clearly saying here, it is not okay for us to ignore these behaviors with Christian brothers and sisters. In fact, do you remember what Paul said? He said, with them, don't even eat. That is a huge thing for Paul to say. It is a huge thing for Paul to say. How serious is that? In that time and in that place, table fellowship was a really, really big deal. You were really, really careful who you ate with and who you didn't eat with. And what did Jesus do? He blew that up. Because Jesus started eating with all the people that said, you can't eat with them. You're eating with those sinners. What are you doing? So he flipped that upside down. And in that time, in that place, when when meals were all about status, what did he do? He flipped that upside down. And he's washing the the feet of the people who maybe should have been washing his. So all this is getting flipped flipped upside down. And then even just a couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 11. And what did Paul call the Corinthians out for? He called them out for when you're doing Holy Communion. You're doing it wrong because you're getting all the status, high status, rich people eating together. And you're shaming those that don't have money. So for Paul to say, with such a person, don't even eat. When Paul was trying really hard to follow the example of Jesus, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. All right, let's talk application. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Scriptures, no trespassing signs, are purposely placed, and one reason is to protect you. Those things that Paul listed, like greed and substance abuse and idolatry, have any of you seen any of those things cause harm to people? Absolutely. And in these chapters, 5, 6, and 7, Paul spends a lot of time highlighting boundaries that the Corinthians were really struggling with. And that's why this section of this teaching series is PG-13, because they were really struggling with boundaries around sex. And Paul has a lot to say about that. For many of the Corinthians, they considered sexual appetites not all that different from appetites for food. And Paul says, no, no, no. Those are very different appetites. They're not the same thing. When you step outside the boundaries around sex that you find in the scripture, I can't think of anything that causes more pain, more deep regret than that in the lives of people, in the lives of those who they care about. And if you want to be part of a tight community, have you ever seen what happens when people cross sexual boundaries there? You want to break up a friend group? Throw that in. You want to break up a family? Put that in. Scripture's no trespassing signs. They're there to protect us. And not only us. They're also there to protect others. I encourage you to write that down too. When we step outside of our our creator's boundaries, instead of bringing hope and healing to the broken world, what do we do? When we step outside of that, we're contributing to the brokenness as we step outside of those boundaries. Consider greed. Greed was on that list. Unbridled greed leads to all kinds of harm. In fact, think about about how many things are there that greed is not at the root of that are destructive. Greed is in there on so many of them. Theft, violence, oppression, injustice, war. These boundaries are there to protect one another. When it comes to boundaries around sex when people ignore boundaries that our creator's placed, the impact on others can be devastating. When someone manipulates somebody sexually, when somebody forces themselves on someone else sexually, when someone traffics somebody else, treating them as a commodity, the dehumanization, the deep, lasting scarring is so significant. So significant. In this short book, it's really a quick read. Really quick read. It's called, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? It's by Sam Elberry. the author. He does a really, really good job. We're going to go into this, hopefully, if we have time, a little more next week. He goes into this a lot more about how prior to Christianity, some of the things that we just take as truth, the world didn't take as truth. Like, that sex should be consensual, in that time in that place, that was not something that people just believed. That that men should have boundaries, you know, should, that they should be constrained their appetites. That wasn't a big thing in that time in that place. Christianity changed the world in so many good ways. These boundaries made a huge impact. All right, again, we'll say more about that hopefully next week as we make that that point. Um, all right, let's talk about this one, this next one. Scriptures, no trespassing signs, are purposely placed in, in another way to reveal truth through the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine how communities of faith if we were not engaging in the dark behaviors as much as many of us are, can you imagine how brightly we'd shine in this world? If people could look and say, look at that community even more and more. Imagine that. If we were holding one another accountable to these things more than we are, there would be more and more people would say, I want more of what those people have. Alright, there's so many more bullet points we could give you about the importance of these boundaries and the difference they make. Let me give you just one more. Sometimes those boundaries are in place for reasons that we don't understand. And that can be really, really hard. Really, really hard. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's easy to see why our creator places boundaries where he does. Don't sleep with your father's wife. Can most of us at least see that's a good one. That, that has good reasons. How about don't engage in sex acts that are non-consensual, right? We get that. Don't be unfaithful to your spouse, check. Don't have sex with minors, check. Don't engage in prostitution or any form of trafficking, check. There are problems with promiscuity, check. Even allowing your thought life to go too far as Jesus warns us about. Most of us can see that too. So So many of these boundaries, we get it. We get why they're there. What about one of the boundaries that we see in chapter 6? What about a boundary that puts that's there around consensual sex between two loving people who have a same-sex attraction? What do you do in cases like that if that doesn't make sense to you? Especially when the world is telling you that's at the core identity of who you are. That's what the world says. Why would God put a boundary there if he cares about us? If you got questions like that, You're not alone. You're not alone. And there are so many helpful resources out there. What we did is if you go to our website and you are downloading this message from our site, we've included um, some notes you can download. And on there, I've got four resources. And the reason I want to recommend these for you is because all four of these resources come from people who are not just talking in theory about same-sex attraction. That's their lived experience. And these are three, four people who, in their own words, are saying, here is why I have a desire that I I, I would like to meet. God's put a boundary around that. And here's why I personally believe it's in my best interest to not cross that boundary. And here's why I trust that God loves me and cares for me. One of them is this, Sam Albury. He wrote that other book, too. It's a really short book. It's called, Is God Anti-Gay? Here's a book by Wesley Hill called, Washed and Waiting?, Here's a book by Jackie Hill Perry, who if you Google Jackie Hill Perry, she's got a lot of stuff out there online too. Gay Girl, Good God. And here's one from a woman named Rachel Gilson called Born This Way. Four different people, also four different approaches, but people who all say, I'm going to choose to trust what God says on this, even though it's hard, even though it's even difficult for me to under- understand sometimes why. Our culture is telling these four people, that they're being harmed by anyone who would put boundaries around their identity. Why would they trust a God who says no? Something that feels so natural to them. These four would say, in their own words, that their sexual identity is not their primary identity. And they've come to know a God who is good, a God who is wise, and a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for them. And they're able to put their trust in that God. And at least a couple of them are able to say, you know what, I've lived outside those guardrails and it wasn't what it was people promised it would be. So they're to a spot where they're like, you know what, on the other side, I'm going to realize those no trespassing signs, they weren't misplaced. God knew what he was doing. And one of the reasons that I'm bringing all this up for you is that if you do have a same-sex attraction, please know that we love you. Please know that you are welcome here. Please know that the people you're sitting next to, we all have our areas where we are drawn to cross boundaries. And we've all crossed boundaries. Many of us, boundaries, we said we'd never cross. And our hope is that this can be a community where we are cheering one another on that when it comes to this idea of accountability, this accountability is friends, brothers and sisters who are all coming together to say, we understand it's hard, but there's a good God who is wise and just and his boundaries are in place for a reason. As we get older and as we get wiser in our own minds, you know, um, we still struggle with things we struggled since the terrible twos when we learn a word called no, right? We learn that word no and at the time we think we want this, But as we get a little bit older, we're like, oh, that rule about not playing in the highway, that was a good one. Not running with scissors, that was a good rule. All right, don't touch a hot stove, that was a good rule. But as we get older, sometimes we forget that, right, that we still have a lot to learn. I personally can relate way too much to this quote by Gordon Fee. He writes, the Corinthian error is not an easy one or is an easy one to repeat. Not only do we all have normal tendencies to turn natural preferences into exclusive ones, but in our fallenness, we also tend to consider ourselves wise enough to do what? To inform God. I can relate to that all too well. And at Emmanuel, we are quick to confess that we all got our stuff. So here's the last thing I want to invite you to write down today. Let's do what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is challenging us to do. And that is to hold one another accountable our Creator's boundaries, and let's do it with consistency and grace. Let's hold the other accountable, but let's do it with consistency and grace. Here's another great quote by Gordon Fee. Although entered individually, the church as a whole is the object of God's saving activity in Christ. God is choosing and saving a people for His name. Perhaps nothing illustrates this point as vividly as two passages in 1 Corinthians um, five, chapter 5 and 6 where Paul speaks to rather flagrant sins of particular individuals. In both cases, Paul aims his heaviest artillery not at individual sinners, but at the, at the church for its failure to deal with these matters. Everything is directed at the church for its arrogance on one hand and for its failure to act on another. For those of us who said yes to receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, let's not be okay with ignoring our fathers, no trespassing signs. Let's not be okay as individuals and as brothers and sisters. Let's not look the other way when when we can help someone come back to the way of Jesus. Let's hold one another accountable. And let's be consistent. Let's be consistent. Conservatives. Let me talk to conservatives. Conservatives. I've seen a lot of conservatives... The tendency when you're conservative is to yell at people who ignore no trespassing signs the Bible places around sexuality. But often, you can be less vocal about greed. This isn't everybody, but I've seen this as a general, general trend. Liberals. Talk to our liberal friends. I've seen a lot of liberals who are very quick to yell at people, yell at people for greed. And often will not do the same when it comes to boundaries around sexuality. Here's something that jumped off the page at me so big as I was studying with these passages. Right there, in the same lists, in the same lists, chapter 5 and 6, same list where you find greed, same list where you find sexual morality, you find a word called revile. Revile. I had to look it up. To revile, here's the definition to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. That's a really good translation of the Greek, from what I understand. That boundary is there in the same list. How many of you see people standing on the wrong side of the no trespassing sign about reviling? And as they're reviling, they're pointing their finger at someone from doing something else. You know what I'm talking about? If you have to say something to a person, if you have to say something to a school board, if you have to say something to a company, don't be reviling and violating what Paul is talking about as you're trying to call somebody else out. Does that make sense? I'm seeing so much of that right now. So much of that right now. You're discrediting your voice. You're discrediting the movement. I know it can feel super spiritual, to revile against others who are trespassing. And I'll tell you this, you want to go viral, pick a side and revile people. That, that's how you go viral. Can we as a church family make a commitment and hold each other accountable? Let's be consistent. Can we do that? That list has all those things. Can we be consistent? All right, let's, let's do that. And as we do, let's remember to extend grace. Let's remember to extend grace. The same grace to others that the Lord Jesus extended to us. In fact, it seems to me he taught us a prayer that has the word trespass in it. When I was growing up, I only heard or saw the word trespass in two places in my entire life. One of them was these signs. The other was when I would go to church and we would say a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. The word trespass is in there too. And it's got some instructions around that. So how about we close this teaching with that prayer? If you know it, I invite you to pray along with me. And I think we'll put the words up here too, so make it a little easier for you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory